in the Mormon church and every church, you know, we have a long history of abuse and it, it hasn't been taken seriously. It ha you know, victims haven't been believed and, and pre um, predators have been protected and that needs to end. It needs to end. And the only way that it's going to end is if we start talking about this really, really hard stuff. It, it will only end when we talk about um, e each other's experiences and, and love each other in the place that we're at. Hey everyone, this is Derek Rose with the Conscious Resistance Network and The Last American Vagabond. I'm about to premiere a brand new interview, an important interview that I conducted as part of an ongoing investigation for The Last American Vagabond. It is called Kate's Story, and today we are releasing part one of Kate's story, introducing you to Kate Anderson and her story of being connected to David Hamblin, who is the recently arrested, disgraced ex-therapist involved in the ongoing Utah County Sheriff's investigation into what they call ritualistic child sex abuse. If you've been following my work, I've been covering this since early June of this year, and I've done uh, seven different articles previous to this. I've also done an investigation into the Mormon Church, talking about Gordon B. Hinckley, and it was through those investigations that I came to be aware of Kate. Kate reached out to me to share with me about what she knows, how she knows David Hamblin, and what she experienced in her own life involving cults, ritualistic abuse, and specifically what she calls abuse by satanic cults. We are going to get into that and much more starting today. So what I'm about to present to you is an interview that I performed with Kate just today, October 25th. It is going to be lightly edited just for clarity and to make sure you can get um, everything that you need to know about Kate's story. But beyond that, please, please share this information. Watch the video, read the article, and stay tuned for more information. And again, thank you, Kate, for choosing to be this strong and brave to come forward with your story. And I want to encourage any of you out there who are listening, who know people who might have experienced sexual abuse, you know, involving the Mormon church, involving um, cults, involving rituals, or whatever it may be. If there's a story you have to share and you want to share it, please reach out to me. I am doing my best to stay on this ongoing investigation in Utah, but I know this is much bigger than just Utah. It's much bigger than just the United States. This is a worldwide issue, unfortunately, and there are many, many people who have suffered, and the only way, as Kate says in this interview, the only way we're going to bring this to an end is by speaking up and using our voices. So, please enjoy this interview with Kate and share it everywhere you can. My name is Kate Tally. I'm originally from Payson, Utah. So, Kate, you contacted me a couple months ago and started to share with me some of your story of dealing with ritualistic abuse uh, within your family. We're going to be talking about that in, in coming interviews. But today's focus is really about how you knew a man named David Hamblin, a, what I would say, a disgraced therapist, now recently arrested. For those of you who've been following my work, you know the story of this man. Um, maybe we should start there. Maybe you could tell us a bit about how you came to know David Hamblin. Yeah, I was introduced to David Hamblin through um, my ex-sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Um, they had been visiting with, or meeting with David Hamblin and attending his healing circles. And uh, were getting they felt like they were getting some help for for her for her own issues with um child sex abuse and 
being abused by members of the Mormon church. And so they knew that I had been struggling um, and that I hadn't gotten help from my my church organization, um, you know, that I kind of been to therapists that I was still struggling. So uh, Alden's brother, Chris, and his wife, Rachel, were the ones that introduced us to David Hamblin. And I believe that was in 2009. And so this is around the point where you get introduced to not only him in general, but his healing circles, his so-called healing circles. Could you tell us a little bit about what those healing circles involved, or at least what he claimed they were about? Yeah. So he, um, the healing circles would be hosted in, in someone's home, a, a member, like members of the healing circle, um, would host it in their home on an evening, an evening, um, a weekday evening. And, um, everybody there, sometimes there were children, but usually it was you adults. Um, everyone was there would have an opportunity to share something that, that they might, um, be struggling with or an issue that, um, in their personal life, you know, people had, had, were seeking out an alternative, I think, to, um, psychotherapy maybe that hadn't worked. There were folks that were working on, um, relationship issues in their marriage. A lot of people were there seeking help from, um, child abuse in their past. That was something that was really common pretty much with, with almost all of the people that I met through David Hamlin's healing circles. Um, you know, a lot of people that were just they're trying to heal and looking for something more than than what uh, they had gotten either from the Mormon church, like like we are taught in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you're if you're struggling with something that you should go to your um, your priesthood leader and and they had done that and not got the help they needed or they had gone the, a traditional route with uh, a psychologist or a psychiatrist and we're still looking for help. And I think that that what you, from what you've told me, that kind of describes your story as well. You sought help, like you said, within the church that through the specifically through the helpline, through your bishop. And um, could you tell us what the response was? I mean, we're going to talk more about this in the future, specifically about the we'll get into the specifics of the abuse that you you suffered. But how did the church respond when you tried to bring you know your experience? Well, I. <sighs> The first time I went to to uh, the leader of a congregation or the bishop of my ward looking for help was when I was a teenager and with my parents and my uh, my sisters and, and my family. When I was 11 years old, I was the first one to come forward and share that, that my grandfather had sexually abused me. And uh, he died when I was 11, and it was shortly after his death that, that I started talking about that. And so we went to our bishop of our ward then, and um, they referred us to something called LES Family Services, which really is the psychiatrist that, that or the psychologists that work there really didn't help much. But um, my family, in my family of origin, we found a, a different therapist um, who wasn't employed by the church, but still a member of the church. And he, he was a therapist that helped us for, for that, um, that period of time. So the first time, the very first time I went to help from a bishop of the Mormon church wasn't a negative experience, but the, a, 
I had a very disappointing and negative experience when I was in, in my twenties, about uh, 29 years old, I think 28 or 29 years old. Um, I was suffering from postpartum depression and it was really, um, it was really hard. It was really bad. I had uh, two little girls and one on the way and um, I was, or I think I had three, I had three little, I had three little girls and I was pregnant with my fourth and I, and I, uh, I was really struggling. And so I made an appointment to go see my Bishop. I met him at the church. Um, and we sat down and I, I confided in him that, that I had been depressed and, and anxious and had been having panic attacks and, and that it was, uh, that I had been abused. I had been sexually abused by my grandfather and also by his friends um, and members of the church. Um, so I asked what kind of help we had for as members of the church. Like what does, what kind of help does our church offer us? And he said, Let, you know, he was really nice at first. He, uh, he was actually pretty nice through all of it. Um, and I don't really like, I'm not angry with him, but he was just doing his, the best he could. Right. So, um, he, he listened with me and I cried a lot and he was compassionate and he was nice. And he said, let's meet again in, um, in a week or two, I'll see what kind of things I can do to help you with, you know, this uh, abuse of this nature. And I said, okay. So I, I went back home and two weeks later we met again. And when I met with him, he said, you know, Sister Tally, that's that's what they call every. It's like brother or sister in the Mormon Church. Sister Tally, we don't have a a, a support group of any kind for people who have been abused, sexually abused by church members or um, ritualistically abused in the church. We don't have anything set up. Um, we don't have support groups. We don't have meetings. We don't have anything. Um, we can send you to, to LDS family services, which is, I had already done as a teenager and I wasn't interested in. And, and so he said, you could do that. You can go to, to LDS family services. Um, but I need to ask you some more questions also about, um, the abuse you suffered in the ages, the age you were and, um, after the age of eight, which Mormons call the, the age of accountability, um, after when you're baptized at the age of eight. So I had, I had some pretty bad abuse happen to me and between the ages of eight and 11. And my Bishop let me know that they would be having a, the high council would meet together. Um, and I would, I would tell them what happened to me and explain the kind of abuse I went through and what I participated in. And, um, and then they would decide if I needed to be put through a, a process of repentance for, for that. And, and that was just super devastating to me, super devastating to me that, that I finally felt like I could uh, turn to, you know, I was doing what I've been taught, turn to my bishop for help, turn to my church, turn to God, turn to my savior in Christ for help. And now um, there's no help. Not only is there no help at all, but um, we're actually, we need to know if you need to be punished 
for your role in your abuse. And so it was, it was super devastating for me. I walked out and, um, walked out of church and I, I didn't really ever go back. Wow. So in, in the end, I mean, the, the tables are sort of turned, like you were saying there, it's like, well, even though you were a child, it was almost like, well, you're responsible in some way for the things that happened to you. Is that right. how you felt? Yeah, I felt that way. And because I think it was because the, the abuse that I suffered at the hands of my grandfather and his friends and his cronies, it, you know, this was an organized cult. This was an organized, um, it's a satanic cold. And I know it's hard to talk about, but um, there are other people involved. And so when I, when I told my bishop that other people were involved and that there were other people there that um, I guess he, he wanted to know all of, all of the details about who, you know, who was there and what, what type of um, like oaths or, um, yeah. Oh, it's a bad word. You know, it's weird. It makes me want to kind of puke, but, um, what, what type of, um, what type of ritual I might've participated in that, that goes against the teachings of the church. Right. And even though I was absolutely, I was forced to be there. I wasn't there by choice, but because other people were involved, I guess he, he felt like he needed to, uh, to, to punish me for participating. Wow. Um, yeah, that's definitely, wow. Well, tell me now for a moment, let's take a step back. You talked about some of your experience there and uh, what initially led you to, to seeking help, because obviously you, you sought help in the church, as you just described, that didn't work out. Then, as you mentioned earlier, you get recommended to go to David Hamblin and healing circles. We're going to talk more about that in a moment, but you said you were introduced to him from your uh, brother and sister-in-law and your ex-husband. Can you tell us more about him now and how, you know, what what the situation is, whatever you want to share about not only his relationship with David Hamblin, but the uh, the abuse you suffered from him as well? Sure. So, so Eldon, Tally, my, my ex-husband, um, he... You know, we had a young family at that time, and and I really, honestly, Derek, I know he. There was a part of him that was trying to do the right thing, and that he was seeking out some sort of help or healing for his wife, and and that at in in the beginning of things, his heart was in the in the right place, right? Um, but when 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 we got caught up in 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 David Hamblin's healing search circle, which is a cult, definitely, definitely a cult. Um, my, my ex-husband Eldon became greatly influenced by David Hamblin, you know, David Hamblin, like really, um, I think he, he's taken advantage. At first he was taking advantage of Eldon and and he still is, but, but I think he saw an ally in Eldon and, and thought he could sculpt him into being his, like, you know, like his wingman, you know, like his, um, the muscles, I guess, it, in a way, Eldon made a lot of money um, and, and gave David a lot of money. And, uh, and Eldon also, um, you know, his, at that time, always actually, 
Eldon has a personality that and uh, a presence about him that's larger than life. He's like he's a really big, statured person. He's really big and tall, um, and and had was nice looking and um, he's really funny and he's a hard worker. So he had, he has a lot of these, uh, he had a lot of um, characteristics, I guess, that, that, that David was attracted to. And so David definitely preyed on Eldon and um, it was really sad. It was really hard because it, it became, it came between Eldon and I in a way that, um, that we never, ever really, we never came back from, you know? Yeah. So you had mentioned to me before that, you know, like, and you think you just touched on it, that there was potentially some maybe manipulation from David Hamlin to your ex-husband. And then there was the financial support he offered him. Um, those who are probably hearing this might be familiar with the history of David Hamlin, who of course has been recently arrested, but it was arrested in 2012 and was accused of um, you know, sexual abuse, rape, um, some really horrible things from his own children at that time. That case would be dismissed in 2014. But you and your ex-husband, Eldon, were there during that entire situation. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, we were. So we, so, so I guess what happened over a, a, about a couple of years is that Eldon got to be really close friends with Hamblin and he spent a lot of time at our home, even when he wasn't doing um, the healing circles. Like they would hang out during the day, they'd go to a movie together or um, go to lunch, that kind of thing. They, they became personal friends. And then also, um, you know, Eldon was his like up and coming rising star of the healing circle. So for the first little bit that, that we went to the healing circle, I didn't know, we didn't know that David Hamblin, um, we knew that he was a, a, a licensed psychologist at one time, but that he no longer practiced. Right. But it, it he kind of made it seem like, and other people in the group that had been there longer than we were made it seem like he, he would, he didn't do modern medicine or Western medicine type stuff anymore because he, he really felt called to be, take a more natural approach and a more like earth-based and spiritual approach to healing and that he couldn't do that um, in a, in a clinical setting. You know, you're not supposed to talk about spirituality or God or anything like that in in a at first that's what I I was led to believe why he stopped practicing as a um, as a licensed therapist or a, a clinical psychologist actually is what he is in the state of Utah and also was in the state of um, New York first but then after we got to know him a little bit better um, somebody in the in the healing circle um, I think it might have been um, Eldon's brother or someone else that had been associated with, with Hamblin longer than Eldon and I had told, told me that, that David lost his license and that it was, it, it, it was because he had out of, what did they call it? Like, like his sexual energy was, um, was really out of balance. And I was like, what, why would you lose your, what you, he lost his license because his 
his his sexual energy was really out of balance. What does what do you mean by that? And they were like, well, he he was having sex with his patients, um, believing that he was healing them. And I was like, oh, well, I don't I don't really feel good about that at all, <laughs> right? Like it was really terrible. Like that's not a good thing. And so Eldon and I talked with David Hamblin about it because because it's that's disturbing. That's something that's like disturbing and gross. And um, and so we talked to him about it and and asked him about it. And he was forthcoming. Hamblin was forthcoming and and he he told the truth. He told us that that he had um, he was misguided. He was misled that he felt like he was healing, helping, but he knows now that it wasn't helping and that he's since repented of that. And I was like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know. I, I don't think this is really, does that happen? Like, do people just like spontaneously heal from, from that sort of thing? Or do you need therapy or, you know, like, has he gone through the steps to, to really be, straightened out from doing something like that. And, uh, so I was, that was when I was like the will it, it, like, I started to panic, like, okay, this is, this isn't good. This guy, um, this guy is not looking after our highest good or, or other people's well being. like this dude's a predator, but cause that's predatory. I mean, you could, you can't get more predatory than, than, than repeating somebody's traumas and abuse under the guise of healing it and godliness. I mean, it's just, it's super twisted, but Eldon couldn't see that. Did did some of these sessions also involve hypnosis? We know that he did use hypnosis, but do you know if, you know, that's, that's when he was abusing people? Yeah. It, it's like a form of, of, a form of hypnosis. What would happen is we would all sit in a circle and he would light a fire. Like he, David would say a prayer and light a fire, light a candle. And he would say that this candle, you know, this fire represents the Holy spirit, the healing, you know, like the spirit of God. And, um, and then whoever's turn it was to work on whatever they were, you know, whatever they had come to the healing circle looking for healing from, um, would look at the candle and then David would tell them what to say and they would repeat what he said. So, yeah, I believe it's, for, yeah, I think, it was a form of of hypnosis definitely that he was doing and so you you guys are there you're getting to you know see the healing circles you're hearing more about this uh his past of um you know abusing his patients then what happened once the uh, the first arrest was made you because i know you were there during that time and you've told me mm -hmm. that uh eldon was supporting him financially through that whole time that you were attending the court hearings can you tell us more like what it was like maybe within the healing circle community, once the news broke that David was arrested and accused of these things by his family members, was there disbelief or were people open to this idea? Yeah. So, so people were shocked and upset, you know, um, I remember we got a phone call, um, Eldon, it was his, one of his days off and we, he got a phone call, uh, from the County jail and he didn't pick it up because like, you know, we don't know anybody there is what you think. And then they called again and, and, and he picked it up and it was, it was David. And he said, Eldon, I've been arrested. And, and we were kind of shocked, like for what, you know, what, what have you been arrested for? What's going on? And um, he said that 
it was a bunch of lies and that it was a like a he said she said thing and that everything in his in his divorce and the claims that his his daughters had made um during the divorce or were investigated and nothing was nothing they didn't have evidence of anything and and she was just you know trying to take him to the cleaners and make him look bad and um you know, he's like, I need you to get me a lawyer and, and bail me out. And we were all shocked. And everybody in the healing circle was like, what is going on? This is terrible. Like, uh, we need, you know, people are getting, get, getting together to pray about it because they like, this is, this is evil working against good, you know, that, and, um, he's been wrongly accused. And could you tell us more about, the actual proceedings. Now we don't need to name anybody's name, but you have told me that um, one of his daughters who accused him was there during the court hearings. Uh, it sounds like she was, you know, kind of staying strong and, and standing by her claims and, and her accusations. And I want to make it clear too, that this person is the same person that current Utah attorney, David Levitt, who uh, is also connected to this case in some way, at least, uh, this is the person that he said was tragically mentally ill. For those who've been following the stories, you know what I'm referring to. A couple months back, David Levitt, Utah County attorney, saying this case, which the 2012 case did list him. Hamblin is now arrested under different charges, but the original case back in 2012, there are accusations against current Utah County attorney David Levitt. He came out, held a press conference, said, hey, I'm not a cannibal. Me and my wife are not cannibals. We're not pedophiles. This is all garbage. And the person who said this is a tragically mentally ill person. But that's not the story of how you describe this person at all. Can you tell us about that? No. So so Eldon was very much uh, supportive of Hamblin. And um, he still is, as far as I know. You know, he's still his, like, number one guy. I think maybe the only one left. But he, um, you know, we had heard, we were kind of spoon-fed this story that that um that it was all just this big pack of lies and and there was no evidence and there was no you know it was like a he said she said type of thing and then when when we went to the first hearing at the courthouse um hamblin's daughters were there not all of them i think one of them was on an ld and on an lds mission but all of them were there and and that the one that that was um kind of that was coming forward with her story for the first time. The other two of his daughters came forward with uh, abuse accusations during their divorce. And then the third daughter um, didn't, she was afraid. She didn't say anything, but she was coming forward at this time and she was there and she, she came to every single one of the hearings and she was, um, she had a victim's advocate with her, I think from, from that the county had um appointed to her but but she was there and she was i remember i looked at her and i and and she was so brave and strong and uh looked looked and acted like somebody who really um you know she's smart she was she she's smart and beautiful and put together and and um and was really, really brave. Like I, I wouldn't look at her and judge her as someone tragically mentally ill. I think she's a really strong person. And, um, 
every time I saw her, which I think was about six or seven different hearings in that case, um, she was there and she was like, she's tough. She's, she's someone to, um, she would be somebody to, to really look up to really like she's a truth teller and she's a, uh, she's really brave. Absolutely. We're thankful for her and for survivors like yourself, Kate. We really appreciate that. And, you know, just I think as the whole time me and you have been in communication and preparing for putting this information out there, it's just been astounding to me, not only statements like that from David Levitt, a public official, taxpayer funded, etc., calling somebody who is making accusations like that tragically mentally ill and just the whole way that that man has handled the last few months, I think, is uh, is at the very least just disrespectful let's say that but there's i think some bigger things going on behind that that we'll have to wait to yeah. see but so you said there was probably six or seven hearings that you saw um the daughters there and then eventually of course david hamblin is is found uh not guilty the case is dismissed without prejudice you know not because he was found you know excuse me not because he was found not guilty with lack of charge or anything like that but basically because the uh they couldn't get the documents together to prove it in time. And there's some suspicion about why that may have happened. But in the end, the case is finished. How did Hamlin respond to this? How did the community respond after, you know, the whole thing was over? So after the whole thing was over, it was, you know, he felt very triumphant, like, like, um, like he, he was going to be vindicated and that the whole world would, would be able to see, yeah, you know, this awesome, amazing healing work that he's doing and that, um, that everybody has been wrong about him all along, right? Like typical cult leader fashion, like the, like his family was, was wrong about him, you know, his wife for divorcing him and his, uh, his daughters for, you know, staying with their mother, um, that the church that had kicked him out was wrong because he's, this amazing um, leader and healer and everybody it, it was going to be shown, you know, the, that truth was going to be shown and he was going to be this huge hero, really. Like he thought he was being vindicated and, and he was a hero. It was like, a, you know, he was celebrating. And it's this process though, that, you know, like you said, you first, you first go to the healing circles, you start to get, uneasy feelings about what's going on. You bring this information to your ex-husband. By this point, he's already sort of falling under the influence of, uh, of Hamblin. And then the court case happens, the hearings happen, the case is dismissed. By the end of that, from what you've told me, I mean, that was pretty much, had put a pretty strong strain on the relationship. And eventually you chose to leave that relationship. Can you tell us more about why you decided to go ahead and, and leave your ex-husband in this whole situation connected to Hamblin? It was after David had gotten out of jail and um, we were at a, at one of the healing circles and he, I think he, he and Eldon had had it planned ahead of time that, that they were going to basically like, like they're going to call me out in, in front of um, a group of people about, I don't know, maybe 12 or 15 people were at my house, including my two oldest daughters and um, say, and they were they were gonna do something that um, that David's huichol teacher, a Mexican Native American holy man, had taught him called putting your bit putting your bitch skin in the fire. 
And the, the idea of that is to um, humble your wife and, and have her repent into submitting to your righteous authority, to your priesthood, to your righteous authority as the man. And I was like, what, what? Uh, you know, he, he was saying that I was, I was stubborn. I wouldn't, um, I wasn't willing to be completely vulnerable and open. Um, I wasn't willing to face my pain and repent. And so they were going to put my bitch skin in the fire. So that was a, um, like a shock to me. And I was, I felt attacked in my, in my home. Um, I was attacked in my home and I, and I was really upset and crying and, uh, because I didn't, I didn't really see what, you know, to, again, I'm like, well, I'm being punished for, because I'm not healing fast enough or because I'm not submitting or, you know, like what, what's going on here? Why this is super confusing. And, and it was just a really traumatic thing to have that, um, to have that kind of gang, you know, ganging up on me in, in my home um, and have this group of people all like, yeah, Kate, you know, like you're not, you have sorceress energy. You're, you're, you're acting evil. Eldon is the spiritual leader between the two of you and you're holding him back. You, he needs to put your bitch skin in the fire. So, so you can ascend to his level spiritually because you don't, a big part of this, you know, big reason why Eldon kept giving, keeps giving Hamblin money is because he, he, he pet, you know, he, he tells Eldon how wonderful he is and how spiritually superior he is. And he, you know, really building him up and that, that I'm holding him back. So that began the, the bitch skin and the fire treatment, which was, um, it was really horrible. It was terrible. I was kicked out of the, the, master bedroom. I was taken off all of our accounts. So I didn't have access to any money. Um, David told him not to speak to me unless it was about, you know, about the kids or something that, that needed to be addressed, but to not spend time with me or to not talk to me, not be, um, physically affectionate with me at all, or, you know, basically just like punish me until I submit to his authority and to his priesthood. And I was like, this is so far wrong. Like this is, this is way far wrong. But, and so I begged him. Kate, let me ask you, you said just, uh, I want to make it clear to everybody who's hearing this. This is also in our article. You're describing this, this treatment. You said that he was given, you know, he, he, did you, do you, have you seen this wee child man that he learned from or is that like his story? Cause I know that David sort of seems, David Hamlin appears to, for lack of a better term, play native American. I do, is he native American at any point or is that just something he has been influenced by and had and claims he had a teacher? You know, he's, David is not a native American. Um, I, I mean, he might be like a little drop. I, I haven't seen his DNA, you know, but he is something that he, that he pretends, that he pretends to be for sure. I never met the, the Huichol man. Um, he, David told me that, that he had gone to Mexico to learn from him and that his holy man uh, or his medicine man had sent him away, you know, and, and 
now I think back on it, I'm like, yeah, now I know I send him, send him away because um, you're trying to be a healer and you're a predator. And I'm sure his holy man saw that. And that's why he, he completely cut him off. So he didn't have any, um, he didn't have any connections to this man in Mexico. He didn't have, you know, he didn't call him. He didn't write him letters. He didn't, you know, he wasn't learning under his tutelage or anything like that. Um, he, he had been cut off from him. So uh, you're describing the treatment, this so-called treatment, you're, you know, locking you out of finances, um, cutting you off emotionally, physically, these kinds of things. And how long did this, this treatment go on for? I mean, it, it, was this basically the end of your relationship when you started to you know, realize you need to leave or did this go on for quite some time before you were able to get out of there? Well, it was, it was, a, it was at the end of our relationship for sure, but it went on for quite a while. It went on for a couple of years. Um, I, I kept hoping that Eldon would come around and that he would see and that somehow he would, um, you know, like he'd see the light that, and, and, and understand that this is not healthy. This is not good. This is not, um, this doesn't help anybody, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, uh, it, you know, that putting the bitch skin in the fire sort of thing was going on at the same time that, that Hamblin was coaching Eldon on how to like reenact my traumas that I had been through as a child, but um, you know, with his righteous seed, right? So during that time, not only am I like being like kicked out of, of my room and not, you know, like a, I, I'm having all of that weird bitch skin in the fire stuff going, but also I'm being pressured and pressured and pressured and pressured to reenact um, the traumas that have happened to me and that somehow be, you know, somehow because my husband is holy, um, it, that'll heal me. So that was going on at, at the same time. Could you, could you elaborate more on that phrase when you say righteous seed? I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. I want people to be clear on what, what he meant or what you believe he meant when he was saying that. semen he means semen okay that's what i was so and we're going to get more into this in the second part of our series um you've touched on it a little bit the the abuse that you, you went through as a child but so when people hear you saying he wanted you to relive your traumas he's wanting you to relive physical sexual abuse yes yeah and that's so like reenact yeah, that's where he was talking about righteous seed. So for for like three years or two and a half years, I I was pressured by Eldon and by you know people in the in the healing circle to open up to my husband and be completely vulnerable to him and and to let him uh, replay traumatic events that had happened to me. And my, my personal story, like it, the things that happened to me were pretty, were pretty bad, you know, like I, the, I, 
a, a few of the things were re like um we re I'm sorry this is hard to talk about hang on breathe for a sec <clears throat> breathe for a moment so yeah so like two or three years for two or three years that kind of thing had been going on the reenactment of of certain um episodes of abuse so so we elder and i would go to hamlin's house and have an individual session a healing circle session, not without, without the whole group and Eldon and Hamblin would press me to share a memory of an abuse situation that I had suffered and tell them the details of it. And then like, and then Hamblin would give like a homework to Eldon to like, to replay what had happened to, to, to redo it. Yeah, so those are those. I appreciate you sharing this with us, Kate. I know this is not easy, and I know that everybody at home who's hearing this uh, is going to be thankful to get a little bit more of the picture of what's going on. Because I want to make it clear that the story you're sharing, these are your words, these are your experiences. David Hamlin is currently being held, uh, being accused of n numerous things now, recent charges being filed on him, two sets of charges. But at the moment, he is still assumed innocent until proven guilty. Um, you know, we can't prove, we don't have the, I don't, I don't have the physical evidence to prove these things. I just want to make that clear. But the reason I'm sharing this and the reason I'm grateful for you coming forward is because these experiences are not going to end, whether we're talking within the Mormon church, whether we're talking in the Catholic church or any other place, if people remain silent. And now you are a grown adult woman who has experienced abuse as a child and then experienced, you know, sort of re-traumatizing you abuse and your uh, your former marriage, and then, of course, with your association with David Hamblin. And I, I just really want to applaud you for being strong enough to come forward and share this. I want to give you an opportunity to share more about why this is important for you to come forward right now. You know, you've shared about, and we're going to hear more in, in these articles that we're releasing about your story of abuse as a young child, and then now being re-traumatized as an adult in your previous marriage and through your connection with David Hamblin. Um, obviously, Hamlin has been arrested now, but what, what is really the, the motivation for you to come forward now and share your story with other people? So the, my reasons for coming forward now and sharing my story, uh, it, I, don't, I, it, I don't have any, it, I'm not interested in justice. Uh, I'm not interested in like um, punishing anybody or even justice being served. I'm that that kind of stuff always gets worked out in the end you know what we do comes back to us and i have all the faith in that i'm speaking up now because i it it's important for my own healing process but also because there i'm speaking up for people who can't and or who are afraid to or who who aren't able to speak up the only way we're going to we're going to move on from this and heal our world from this kind of abuse is if we stop keeping these secrets our um you know in the mormon church and every church you know we have a long history of abuse and it it hasn't been taken seriously it ha you know victims haven't been believed and and pre um, predators have been protected and that needs to end it needs to end. And the only way that it's going to end is if 
we start talking about this really, really hard stuff, it, it will only end when we talk about um, e each other's experiences and and love each other in the place that we're at. It's only going to get better um, when we start believing victims and when we start uh, sharing our stories and having our voices be heard and having um, being vulnerable enough to to love each other in that place, you know, to listen to each other. And um, that's, so that's why I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing it for, for my, I have a, my cousin, Sherry, you know, my first cousin, she was abused by a lot of the same people I was. And, and she took her own life in her parents' backyard while her own children were in the house. It's just, it's tragic. There's so many deaths. There's so much sadness. There's so much dysfunction and the only way that we're going to start to heal is if, if we start talking about it. So that's why I'm doing this. That was, that was wonderful. I appreciate you being brave enough, Kate, to come forward and for having the courage to contact me originally and to stay in touch with me, to bring the story forward. I want to give you uh, just a, you know, I think you sort of touched on what, what I'm, I'm hoping you'll share here, but just in closing for today, if you, could send a message to anybody else out there who's hearing this story, your story, uh, and maybe has similar experiences and maybe is afraid to come up and, you know, share their story because of all the different things you've expressed, you know, fear of just people looking at you a certain way, fear of being called a liar, uh, fear of, you know, maybe reprisals. And right. I think that one of the points that stuck out to me that you were just saying a moment ago, that's so relevant to me and a lot of the work I've done in these areas is that oftentimes these things are exposed after all the people are dead and gone. And so, you know, and you talk about, you know, justice, whether in terms of legal justice, karma, et cetera, you know, karma, of course, is always going to be there. People, you know, have to deal with their creator. But I do, I will say that it is very disheartening and it can be difficult. And I think it could be discouraging for victims to come forward when they see that like, okay, well, nobody, nobody's listening or there's no accountability or there maybe, you know, who's going to listen to me? The people that did this to me, they're dead now. Um, but just any words of advice or thoughts you have to somebody who might be hearing your story and thinking about sharing their own? Well, to anybody that's been victimized in, in, in any way, I, what I would want to, what I want to tell them is that you're not alone in your suffering. And we've all, we've all been hurt and we've all been wronged. And, uh, your story's important. Your feelings are important. I can't, you know, I care about you. Others care about you. You're not alone. Even when, even at times when I felt really, really alone, because there were times through all of this that, that I really, I didn't know that, and that, that anybody would really ever hear um, my story. You know, I didn't, it, I knew even in those times that I was really, really in the trenches and crippled and, and in a dark, dark place, I was never alone. We're never alone. We have one another. Um, and loving one another is the only way we're going to get through this. This is the only way we're going to have a better earth. It's the only way that we're going to heal. It's the only way we're going to heal. Is if Kate, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me. And I know we'll be talking again in the future. And everybody who's hearing this, if you're just watching the video, wherever you're watching from, we are going to include the article, which shares a lot of what we've just been over, but in written form, I highly encourage you 
to please share Kate's story, whether this video, the article, and whatever form you can. Because as she was saying, you know, if the victims aren't heard, well, then the, the people who perpetrate these injustices will never be held accountable in one way or the other. So our strength is in our voices. Our strength is in coming together and supporting each other. And Kate, I'm honored to be the one to help you share your story. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's a, uh, I appreciate your time. You know, I really, I appreciate you for telling the truth and being somebody who works so hard to share truth because it, there's not very many people like you out there that, that are trying that they, the work I, you're doing the work you do because you care and because you want truth to be known. And I have a lot of respect for you. And, you know, I'm just like one little, you know, gray haired knitter, <laughs> knitting lady on the mountain. But um, if I love my neighbor and, and really listen and help, help bear his burden um, and you do the same where you're at, if we all do a little bit, it, it will change our world a lot. It really will. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for your time, Kate. Since 2012, the Conscious Resistance Network has been an independent media organization focused on empowering individuals through education, philosophy, health, and community organizing. We work to create a world where corporate and state power do not rule over the lives of free human beings. Our motto is leading by example and helping others in their pursuit of freedom. Visit theconsciousresistance.com to find our articles, documentaries, interviews, podcasts, books, and more. Remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free.